All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I am Colin Cadmus, a lifelong salesperson, two times VP of sales, and recent founder of my own strategic advisory and executive coaching firm. Today, we have Caroline Betts Fleming. As you know, season one is focused on massive sales success stories. When I chose that topic and started thinking of potential guests, I immediately thought of Caroline. Caroline started her career as a sales intern, then went on to become an account executive, spent some years recruiting, and eventually went out on her own and built Bets Recruiting, which is now the leading recruitment firm for revenue generating, marketing, and people operations roles. With over 80 employees, and I'm sure a lot of revenue, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to find out a little bit about that today. Without further ado, Caroline, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Colin. Oh, I'm excited to chat with you. We've been planning this for quite a bit now, so I'm excited to dive in. I, I wanted to start with a question because the theme of season one, like I said, is, is massive sales success stories. The purpose of this season is to show people that you start out in sales and there's no telling where it can take you, right? And I know we spoke yesterday and I always say that no one plans to get into sales, right? At least most people don't plan. You kind of end up here. And so in the first season, I wanted to show people different examples of what could come from a sales career, right? And so I've had Corporate Bro on who launched into making viral content that we all watch. I've had Wiley Cirelli who launched into founding a couple different companies and, and having some exits there. And now I want to speak with you because you grew into owning a massive recruiting firm, which is also in the sales space. So there's, there's so much overlap there, but I wanted to start by asking you, cause I'm curious just from your own point of view at this point in your life, I'm looking at you and the audience looking at you as a wildly successful story. Do you feel that way today? Or do you feel like there's still so much more to do? You know, I think I, <laughs> We've seen a lot of success at Bets, obviously. And so, but you know, it's funny today we did our all hands and I, I still think I, I, I turned 40 uh, this summer. It was the all Happy ever birthday. Expected and imagined of my 40th birthday. I've been planning in my head from the, for the last decade, you know, quarantine. Uh, but <laughs> so uh, I still have, you know, a long, long career ahead of me. And I think there's a lot more that bets can do. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, you know, it, we're still known as a recruitment services company. However, you know, we launched our entire SaaS platform for go-to-market hiring. And, uh, you know, I think that that makes our company far more scalable than, uh, than the services alone. So I'm excited to really continue to take that to market. Um, so it was great timing taking it to the market, to market at the beginning of the year, I have to say. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's been it's been definitely a rough year for everybody. Did you when you started your sales career and we're, we're going to dive into the the whole story of starting out selling ads for for yellow pages and door-to-door -door sales and the real grind, right? When you when you were back in those days, did you envision yourself someday being the CEO of a company? Like was that in your head at that time? No, I, all I really cared about back then was, you know, hitting my quota, making money, being the top of the leaderboard. You know how now we have Hoopla and all that stuff and different dashboards, Salesforce, et cetera. We yeah. literally had what we called the hot sheet. And, you know, I'd highlight my name on the hot sheet. And if anyone was above me, I was not having it. And, you know, that's where I really focused early on in my career was just being the best I possibly could be at that time. It's awesome to hear you say that because that's a very common trend and I can relate directly to, to that feeling of, of what motivates you. And I think the laser focus that we have, and I'm glad you answered it that way because I think that's actually really good advice for the audience, which is when you are starting out your sales career and, and you're looking at folks like Caroline or other guests that we've had on the show and you're thinking, someday I can be there, someday I can be there. Reality is when, when they were in your shoes, they weren't thinking about that. They were focused on now. They were focused on 
just getting to the top of that leaderboard, right? It's funny that you, you mentioned uh, having that sheet because that, that, I actually don't like all of that gamification stuff. And I've always been a little bit laughed at because of the, when I run sales teams, I always put up on the TV uh, a fancy spreadsheet. And I say fancy, meaning like I make it look visually somewhat appealing, but it's just a spreadsheet and it sits up on the TV in the office. In my last office, we had, I think, five TVs. It was so everyone sees it. And it, all it is is a list of names, your goal, your percent to goal, and then it highlights in green or yellow when it goes over 100%. And that sits up in front of everyone, not just the sales team, the whole company. So if you're slacking, like there's no hiding it, right? It's literally in your face all day. And I've always had, you know, Hoopla and all these companies try to sell me this stuff. I'm like, I just want this. Like, this is all I need because it really does motivate the top performers. That's why it's, it, I said it's awesome that you brought that up because that's what drove you, right? You wanted to be highlighted in yellow or whatever it was to, to be number one. Absolutely. Yeah. And those things are super motivating. And I always, you know, if I was number two and part of me always wonders like, how does the person at the bottom just like stay there? <laughs> it's like, they usually don't for very long. <laughs> no, like, don't you see this and want to not be there anymore? <laughs> and if they do look, if they do, it drives them, I think. But I think that's a, it's like a really interesting point if you're just starting out in sales and you just have like essentially no drive when you look at those numbers, those dashboards, it may really not be the right career. I, I, I'm in your shoes right now. Like you just said, how do you do that? Like, I can't imagine being that person. The job must be miserable if you are not driven by, by that vanity metric as, uh, as some would call it. But um, all right, cool. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you got into that, that first sales job? You, I know you started out interning, but what led you to, to selling ads in Yellow Pages? And for the younger folks in the audience who are listening, uh, selling ad space in Yellow Pages was like the go-to sales job back in the day. You could go to any small business and try to close a deal. Uh, I sold a relatively similar type of, of product at single platform. So I can relate to that SMB, you know, that, that cold call, just getting yelled at by all sorts of business owners but the rush you get when you, when you finally close one of those sales. But how, how did you end up in, in uh, selling yellow pages? Well, it's so funny. First, I want to start by saying uh, <laughs> these back in the day stories, I love them. And, but I feel like when I tell them to people on my team, it's like big eye roll, like, okay, nobody gives <laughs> about you selling the yellow pages like more than 10 years ago. So uh, you know, thank you for taking me down memory lane. Well, they um, need to respect it. Honestly, like <laughs> I, I can relate to it just because I know people have done it and I've heard the, the, like, the real, real stories about what it's like going door to door selling that stuff. Uh, and, and this is like face-to-face -face rejection, right? This isn't getting hung up on the phone, which is what we all deal with today. Like, this is a lot different when you were actually pounding doors. And I think you said your leads were literally a stack of paper, right? Like, that's, that's respect. <laughs> so, tell me about it. What do you remember from those days? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I went to UNC Chapel Hill and I graduated with a degree in journalism and advertising. And so my big dream was to work at one of those fancy creative firms and, you know, watching all these cool campaigns, got milk, all that stuff back then. I wanted to be that person. And, uh, but then I found out it pays $26,000 a year total, you know, not base. <laughs> Even that base today would be like laughable. Um, and uh, I just, that was not going to allow me to have my own apartment uh, in San Francisco. And I was living at my parents' house. So sales, uh, 
paid the best and it was relatively, it was advertising, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so I applied for advertising sales jobs and I ended up getting hired at the yellow pages and yeah, sold ads in, in the book. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, the rejection didn't really bother me uh, because it made the wins even better. And it was, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, it's a numbers game. And yes, there's a lot of skill that goes in. I saw a post today from Kevin Dorsey about, you know, the, the numbers and all this. And it's so true. It's just, you know, the more no's you get, the, there's a yes right around the corner. And I always found that to be really uh, inspiring and motivating, <laughs> believe it, you know, glutton for punishment, I guess you can say. Uh, it's, were there like specific metrics like similar to to cold calling today where they say you got to make 100 calls you have to do this was there a was there a big number that you had to sort of chase every day was it how many doors you knocked yeah, I mean, you had to go through all these leads on paper in the stack. But the one metric that my boss really uh, drove home was sales per day. And so, yeah, you could sell a big full page ad, <laughs> yellow pages. Uh, and that was huge, right? You got a big commission. But what they really based your work off of was how many deals you closed per day. And as long as that was over one, so I always had the goal of a minimum of one sale per day. Some days you'd make three, some days you'd make zero. Uh, but, you know, that was really hustling. I was at, you know, the top because of that. <laughs> but yeah, sales per day was, and it's a great metric to track, I think, right? Because it's, it's, it shows the hustle and that you're not just getting your whole quota by selling one or two deals. You're out there, you know, really getting what's out there in the market from small to big deals. And that's what they wanted to see was, you know, deals. What were the deals? It's obviously very SMB, very transactional. If you're talking a sale a day, that was, that was my target too. In my first sales job, close a deal a day, deal a day keeps the manager away. We always used to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but uh what, what were the the deal sizes i imagine that most of them were were relatively small but then you had some big ones that were real exciting yeah i mean okay so the the normal ad is it was called a dqc uh i can't believe i still remember this and <laughs> and it was um like the size of a business card so those were about 200 and it depended on the market but i call it 250 dollars a month for them to have that and it went, and then the larger ads like a full page was about nine thousand dollars a month which is crazy i would never pay that for a yellow page ad <laughs> it's crazy but when you think back to the times like i i know the, the young folks listening right now who never had to use a phone book to figure out like where a business is they can't even understand but imagine not having google not having yelp not having foursquare not having any of these apps uh there's no google maps right when you wanted to find a business you had to pull out the phone book and it was all alphabetical and it was just these thin yellow pages and the only way to stand out in that book was to buy these ads right that was your seo that was your marketing and so uh there were budgets for that and it's it's kind of incredible too how that company has still survived, right? They pivoted eventually into building websites for small businesses and now they have an online directory, but it's crazy that they're actually still this, this behemoth sales engine and they're still around. I mean, the funniest part was because I started there in 03. And um, <laughs> so Google existed then. I think Google started five years before. So I remember going and people were like, don't you think people are looking this up on the internet instead of yellow <laughs> pages? We're starting to get those objections. I just was like, uh, you know, you still want to be in the book, you know? <laughs> yeah, you still have to be there. That's so funny. <clears throat> so, so when did you transition uh, into your next role? 
You did yeah. this for over a year, I think, right? I did over a year. And so I was on 100% commission. And, you know, when you're, when times are good, 100% commission, that's another thing. This is so OG. It's hilarious. Uh, you know, selling yellow pages door to door for 100% commission. Oh, wow. You had no base salary. No. no when I started, I that did. real OG. They rolled out this whole thing where you could either keep your base and your commission went down or get rid of it and have higher commission. So you were confident. So you went with the latter. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, if you're not making as many sales as you did before or whatever, something doesn't work out. It's a lot more stressful, right? To not even think you might be able to make your rent. There's no cushion. Yeah. Exactly. Or, you know, they, things happen just like, you know, you have sometimes sales, they buy something, they don't pay, whatever. And that's a little bit out of your control, but you still don't get the money, which then is tough for the person, you know, right out of college that's you know, living in a fancy apartment in San Francisco. <laughs> so I, I wanted to transition to something else with, you know, larger deal size. And so I actually saw an ad on Craigslist and it said 100K plus, 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 you know, high commission, high base. And I was like, ooh, this job sounds great. I had no idea. I thought I didn't know what it was, but I saw that and I was like, gotta apply for this. uh, I faxed in my resume. Fax was a big thing back then. And um, they called me. And so then I researched the company online, obviously, and um, it was a recruiting agency. So I thought I was applying to work at the recruiting agency. uh, And I didn't even know what a recruiting company was really. I mean, I'd worked at that staffing company, but I didn't realize that there were those for full-time jobs. And so I went in and there was a little confusion. I thought I was interviewing to work there. They were looking to help me find a job. And, you know, that was basically a bait ad to get people to send in their info to then send them out to all the different companies. And so sat down with the owner and um, Mark Gambarasi, my first mentor in recruiting, and uh, he ended up hiring me. And it was awesome. I mean, that job was probably the best job I, I had. Actually, I loved all my jobs, but um, but it was really fun. I, it was definitely the longest one I had uh, other than bets, which, you know, 11 years. <laughs> so it's interesting. You didn't plan to get into sales. You also didn't really plan to get into recruiting. It all just kind of fell in front of you and, and you went with it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like dating, right? You know, when you go and you know something feels right and, you know, you just kind of go with it. (laughs) It's it's such a common theme. It's why it's so interesting doing these interviews because I hear so many similar trends across successful people. And and that's one that that I heard from someone many years ago and I've stuck to it myself. You know, people ask, how did you end up here? How did you become this or that? And it's like successful people tend to, I think beyond either one or the other side of the spectrum. One is they had a very clear plan and they just went after it like from day one. I think those people are very rare because usually you just get thrown off course, but other people are just really good at finding what opportunities are in front of them and just chasing them. And then it leads to the next one. It leads to the next one. And eventually you're CEO of an 80 person recruiting company, which is uh, not a bad story to tell, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, and it's funny, my VP of finance and our exec team have been joking. We're like, uh, Q4 theme, hashtag work hard. And it's a joke, right? Because that's not really going to motivate anybody. Um, but what it really comes down to is hard work 
right? Like nothing worth having is easy. And I think a lot of people think that things are just going to come their way or that they're entitled to something because, you know, I, I don't know why they feel that way. But for me, it was always, okay, if I work the hardest and smartest and do the best possible job that I can at any job I'm in. I used to have this joke, right? Like if, if you're, you know, down, you know, cleaning up the Embarcadero, like if you do it with gusto, like you're going to love it. Right. And you know, it's not fun, but at the same time, like it's all about like passion, energy, and just doing the absolute best you can every single day. God, I love that. That's so good. How important do you think it is throughout that grind to genuinely enjoy it? <laughs> you know, I guess I, I, I really enjoy it, right? I think it's just, and it's about the small wins, right? Yes, like making that 100K placement or bringing on this big company that we've been chasing down. Like those things are exciting. Right. But at the same time, you know, I love walking out of a meeting with an entrepreneur that I have, you know, that is starting a really cool company. That's exciting to me. I love, you know, hiring a brand new person. We had a new recruiter accept the offer uh, at Betts this morning and she already updated her LinkedIn. She's starting on October 19th. And, you know, we're like, she already like that. It, it, it just those little wins that you see every single day. And if you celebrate those small things, it makes the grind so much fun uh, and it's you know it, somebody takes your call or yesterday I called a former client and you know because his name came up in a conversation and he's like you must have a mole at this company because <laughs> we literally this morning are rolling out our hiring plans for 2021 and they're big I was like no your name just came up and I thought I'd give you a call you know but those all those little wins make it so much fun so even as the CEO, you're still making calls like that. You're still looking for opportunities and, and reaching out to people. That's awesome. I mean, Sahil the other day, I, I, I called him. I was like, yeah, I'm doing some uh, prospecting with my team. He's like, you're still fucking doing that shit? <laughs> it's like, oh, I know, I am. I because yeah, I love it. You it's love it. It just comes naturally, right? Like you're just always looking for business and opportunities to help people. And it, you just can't stop doing that. I, I, I think that's when you know you're, you're supposed to be doing it, right? Like you are in the right line of work because it just comes naturally to you. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you went through this, this incredible journey of being a salesperson, getting into recruiting. When did you start to think, I'm going to maybe go out on my own and take a big risk and start my own company? When did that first cross your mind? Well, you know, actually, when I was at Andiamo, I thought about it, but I wasn't really in a financial position. And I thought I was a little young. There were a bunch of factors, but I had thought about it. And I also felt morally wrong leaving a company and going into competition with my company because I had so much respect for Mark and everything they were building there. And so I took that job at the yellow, or at, the, at careerbuilder.com. And it, I, it, that was the best thing I ever did was because I really understood, you know, technology sales and how larger companies are structured. Uh, you know, I still remember when I sat down with my boss about three months into the job and I'm like, so what's procurement? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh-oh, okay, sit down. And I, I said, okay, well, he's like, well, it's, you know, he explained what procurement was. Wait, there's an entire organization in a company that's entire job is to block my deal? Are you <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, salespeople's best friends, right? We love when everything goes over to legal and procurement. About the lunch and all these things. And you know, some of the guys actually went with me, so that worked out. Uh, but anyway, so um, I just, I didn't love that type of um, enterprise sale, right? It just didn't, like all, everything that I really loved about sales was much more challenging in larger companies and the process and the bureaucracy and working at a larger company, working with larger companies. So I, I you know, I did some soul searching, right? Okay, well, what, when was I the happiest? What do I love doing? And I loved recruiting and I loved building relationships and I was good at it. And so, you know, I, I and actually, you know, I had, I had also approached my dad about going to work at our family business. And he looked at me, he's like, Carolyn, you don't want to work here. Uh, you know, you should start your own company. And I had What's family business. It's a manufacturing company. Uh, they make springs for cars, trucks, airplanes. Uh, nice little, you know, push here. I doubt anyone listening to your podcast is in the market for those things. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, it's been around since 1868. Multi-generational. My brother's the president now. My dad's the CEO. And um, yeah, it's definitely uh, lasted the test of time for sure. So, but it's funny because I run bets, which is a very like tech heavy, you know, high margin business uh, with no, you know, relatively low overhead, right? I mean, if, if you ask me, I feel like it's super high overhead with all these people in offices and technology, et cetera. But there's nothing like steel, machinery, you know, shipping, trucking, et cetera. So uh, that's what they do. But and when my dad said that, I had all of $10,000 in the bank. And, um, and yeah, so I started up with 10 grand out of my one bedroom apartment and basically, and, and not a lot of people know this, but um, I have bootstrapped and scaled this thing all through the profits that we've made at bets. And we also developed our entire technology platform, which has been millions of dollars of development through bootstrapping and self-funding, which is very, very rare for a technology company. It is. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to dive into that. I wanted to get a sense for, for the folks who are listening. I know there's a lot of salespeople eventually want to start their own companies. I've tried it and failed uh, uh, once. Um, kind of doing it now. But uh, so, so 10 grand, that was, that was what made you feel comfortable. Did you have the vision at the time that this was going to become a big business? Or did you say, I'm just going to start by myself. I, I want a lifestyle business. I want to just be able to be my own boss. And you just went from there. I know, I wish I could say I wanted to make a big company, but really, I was like, if I make one or two placements a month, I'll make more money than I do at Career Builder, and I'll be happier because I'm going to be doing what I love. And then that was 2010 when I went full-time, and I had done a ton of hustling. I went, I mean, I took my sales skills, and I went to Dreamforce in um, 2009. And I went to literally every single booth in the entire place. And I asked, what does your company do? Um, and they told me and they said, what do you do? I said, well, I am starting my own company and I recruit salespeople, uh, mostly for tech companies. Same thing that we do now. And we've expanded a little bit. And I had a stack of like 200 business cards walking out of there because every single company was needing to hire salespeople and they appreciated the hustle. So pretty quickly, I had more business than I could handle on my own. And I wasn't about to, you know, and you, the you know, people always think in recruiting, getting the client is the hard part. That's not true. It's actually the execution and finding, making the right matches and, you know, making sure, um, 
you know, that, that, that it's the right fit. And, and the process is, you know, can be, it's much longer when you're finding multiple people for these companies. So long story short, I had a ton of business and I needed help to help executing to get all these searches filled. Did you go through a period of, of deciding, do I want to grow a team and take on all this business or do I, am I more comfortable just staying small, doing it by myself? And I ask cause I'm actually in the same boat right now. I just posted about this like yesterday that uh, I started consulting, announced that I was consulting and my inbox on LinkedIn just got flooded. Uh, I had no system in place for like filtering, you know, good leads, bad leads, nothing. And so I ended up with thousands of messages that I couldn't keep up with. But, and anyway, so I posted about this and a lot of people are like, why wouldn't you hire people? Obviously hire people. And like, for me, I'm like, the whole reason I started doing this, I don't want to hire people. Like I want to just live a, a nice life for once, right? I've, I've hustled so long that I want to focus on my personal life and work a few days a week and maximize my income. Did, did that cross your mind? Were you saying, do I want to go down this road? Do I want to run a company or I can just make good money doing a few placements? What, how did you navigate that decision? Well, okay. So you come from a different position than I do because I, you heard my story. Before I started Bets, I had never managed a single person in my entire life. So, uh, so you were green. Yeah. You, you weren't, you haven't been, uh, you haven't been tortured and, and tainted yet. <laughs> my team. Uh, but you know, you talk to any leader and you know, the hardest thing about running businesses is, you know, getting all the people moving in the right direction, following the process and, you know, just, you know, people are people and it's, 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 rewarding, but it's challenging. And so, you know, having been two times VP of sales, I think that you know what it's like to hire people and the percentage that are great and the percentage that are okay. And the percentage of people that you have to have really tough conversations with that just don't end up working out. And those suck, right? And nobody likes to do that. And especially, you know, now back then they were representing doctor.com. They were representing air call. You know, you were training people for single platform. Now it's calling your name on the door or, you know, one bedroom apartment or whatever. It <laughs> and it makes it even harder, right? Because people are hiring you. They're hiring you and your experience to come in and consult. And so we can talk more about this of like my real recommendations of how you make yourself more scalable without hiring. And you, know, you can talk to a lot of the other people. Um, you know, Jake would be a great person to talk to uh, because he definitely scaled that business. And, you know, it's been great for him, but, you know, there's no shortage of challenges when you have a big team of people. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I don't even think I was self-aware enough to, to think about the fact that maybe I'm hesitant because it is my name, right? Like I actually am putting my name on it. Anything I do is also my money, right? Which is also scary. When someone says, hey, we just raised $50 million, come hire a hundred salespeople for us. Sure, it's your money. Like I, I know the success rates, but like when it's your own money, you, you think about that very, very, very differently. Um, so that's, that's interesting. So uh, who was your first hire? Katie Hughes. Uh, she's awesome. She worked for, for us, for me, for a while. And so I met her because, as I mentioned, I went to the University of North Carolina. She had recently graduated as well, was moving to San Francisco. So we got connected through the UNC Alumni Club. And so she wanted a job. And so I was helping her, sending her on all these interviews and, uh, you know, there wasn't a mutual fit there. Uh, but she went to do kind of a, a 
temporary temp to hire type thing for a company through her network. And uh, she took me out to it for a drink. Uh, I remember uh, it's the place on the corner of Fillmore and Chestnut for anybody that's in San Francisco. It's, turned, it's the Dorian now, but it was something else back then. And we were sitting there and she said, well, you know, she was talking. Oh, what, what I was so impressed by was she had just moved to San Francisco and she had already gotten involved with all of these groups that I was a part of or had been involved in, but that I knew about. And in recruiting, you know, one of the best ways to recruit and bring on business is networking. And she was already proving to be a really awesome networker. And so, and at that time, I was just so overloaded. And so I said, well, why don't you come work for me? And so, you know, I had, I, had to, like I knew people because I had been a big networker. So I figured out like my friend who's in HR consulting, like how do I offer somebody a job? How do I, you know, I had to like get, and then you have to, there's so many things that you have to do when you transition from being yourself to hiring people, healthcare, all these things that, you know, really add up. So <laughs> now there's you know, more contracting situations out there, but uh, yeah, it was Katie. Did you, um, how did you structure that? Did you, did you have to have a budget set aside? Were you giving her a salary? Cause that's a scary thing making your first hire. Um, how did you arrange it? Was it commission only to limit your risks or what did you do? You know, we've, we've changed things a lot over the 11 years at Fets, but no, originally I offered her a salary plus commission. And then as we started hiring more people, uh, more people, so the new people were willing to come on as, for commission. And so then we changed it up, put her on commission too. And then eventually we started giving people salaries again. And for the last, we used to have a choice, like just like at the yellow pages, right? You know, where do you learn? <laughs> it's from your previous experiences, which was not a great one. So I don't know why I like took that model and, <laughs> you know, the hundred percent commission in San Francisco, because uh, the same thing happened with us. People were closing big deals, but they have a bad month and they start thinking about looking. So now everybody at Betts is on a salary with commission and uh, we will never I mean never say never but I can't see a world that we would go back to 100% commission got it yeah no it's it's tough when you're starting out you got to limit your risk I mean hiring someone is scary right especially this this is like a friend of yours right so was that what, what were you friends or, or was it more you just knew each other from school because that's that's questionable too right is this is going to affect our friendship type of decision no we weren't friends like we weren't not friends but we met through the alumni association so okay. Our first part of our friendship was me helping her find a job. Second was that one drink that we had where we talked about this. And then we became friends. We're friends now. She came to my wedding. You know, her and I talk on a regular basis. She's now, she's worked at a couple of venture capital funds and she does, she runs talent for some big names out there working with all their portfolios and she's at General Catalyst now and has like had a really amazing career. And so yeah. So we're friends now, but we weren't before she got hired. Got it. Got it. Cool. So I want to, I want to deviate for a second and, and pick your brain about your expertise with interviews. You've, you've been in the space on both sides, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> for a long time. So um, what, what is, if you had to just give, I mean, I'm sure you do this all the time, but what's the best advice you give to someone going in for, for a sales interview? What are the, what are people looking for today? What's the, what's the hot tip? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, do your research, right? You know, like 
if I was interviewing with you, my first question would be like CVS. Like, how did you even? What is that? Like, um, and you know, so you know, research the people that you're meeting with. Obviously, the company. Understand what the role is and what your skill set is that you have that's applicable to the job that you're going to be doing. And you know, understanding how you've been successful in the past. So if it's your first job, come up with stuff from college. Come up with you know different stories you've had about doing some kind of sales before, whether it's you know. I don't know. I mean, I sold campfire candy and magazines, like, you know, all those examples really help show, um, you know, that you're committed and that you're going to show up. Um, and I still believe, well, I guess there's not in-person interviews right now, but when they come back, I still believe in bringing a hard copy of your resume to the interview. <laughs> so that's how old school I am. <laughs> and is that, I'm curious, is that because it just shows that you're prepared or is it because you actually think that that piece of paper outside of the, the preparedness that it serves value in the interview. Yeah. It shows preparedness and you know, sometimes people do a lot of interviews, right? And they look at your LinkedIn, they might've been running from meeting to meeting to meeting. And it just gives them a little, like, cause you want to also make the other person feel very comfortable that they, so if they forgot something about your background or anything, like they can go right to it, ask about your experiences and it makes it easier for the interviewer, the interviewer to interview you when you have it all in front of them. And, and a lot of people, you know, when I'm meeting somebody face to face, I put my phone away, my computer's away. And, you know, if you don't have that, you know, it's sometimes hard for people to kind of go through their process uh, of interviewing. So that's what I recommend. It's good advice. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned too the in-person interviews, just advice for all of our, our managers out there, put your phone away, put your laptop away. Uh, I, I've seen people go into to these interviews with their laptop open. They're like, oh, I want to have their LinkedIn there. And it's like, no, you're getting Slack messages, this and that. Like it's a horrible candidate experience. Um, but on that note, <clears throat> on the other side of the coin, what are the most common mistakes that you see people make that are still just so cringeworthy? Like I can't believe a candidate's doing that. I mean, number one is complaining about your former employer, right? Um, you know, I think work is hard, right? It's like, you're there, you are hired by a company to do something and, you know, they're paying you a lot of money to make it happen. So, you know, not every day and not every piece of feedback is going to be like the most amazing thing that's ever happened to you in your life. So complaining about that, when, when somebody complains to me about their former employer, all I can think is, um, this person's probably going to be, you know, complaining here too. Even if our company's far better, we don't do those things. They might find other things. So, that, so that's a big piece of advice that I have. And then the other thing that's not as cringeworthy, but it's just like that cherry on top. And because when I'm debating whether we're going to hire somebody or not, I always go to their follow-up and their thank you. And when I search my inbox and I'm, and I, you know, try and find out, did this person send a follow-up and it's not there? I'm like, okay. So that actually helps me, you know, decide it's a no because they didn't follow up. And in sales, the follow-up is, you know, just as important as the actual meeting. And if you really mess up on the meeting and you send a great follow-up, you can keep things going. So, uh, so those, are the, those are the things that I think. That's really good. So don't complain about your former employer. And, and I totally agree, by the way, when somebody <laughs> does that, uh, it's, 
it's just such a slippery slope, right? And when people ask me for advice for interviews and stuff, they, they often say like, you know, how, do I, how am I going to explain this story of why I left this company or, or whatnot? And, and then they st- I say, well, why did you leave, right? And then they explain to me, and it's very negative. I'm like, you have to find a way to put a little more positive spin on it just because you have maybe 30 minutes in the room with this person. And if you spend 15 of those minutes talking about something that's just negative, that's the impression you just made, right? And, and that's the feeling that that manager thinks they're going to have working with you. Uh, so that's, that's really good advice. With the follow-up, <clears throat> when, when is the best time to send it, right? Is it awkward when the people send it when they're like still in the elevator leaving your building? How long do you wait? Is, is there a rule to that? It's a small detail, but does that matter? I mean, I'm so old school. I think go home you know, think about it, you know, put together your notes of what you really enjoyed about the conversation and the opportunity, why you want to work there. If you do, if you don't, um, you know, I don't know, we can talk about that a separate day, but let's just pretend you want to work there. And uh, so get home, write your notes, write a thoughtful, reflective, uh, email that's not super long. When I say thoughtful and reflective, like no scroll down, I need to be able to read it on my iPhone, maybe like a half scroll. And, um, that day, same day before you go to bed, same day before you go to bed. Makes sense. Um, all right. What about, what about on the earlier end when you are, you're trying to get this job, you're trying to land the interview, you're trying to get the attention of, of the employer, Um, you know, I've given people advice recently that you have to get creative, right? Particularly for these sales jobs, entry level, uh, you know, you're sending in resumes, you're clicking apply on all these job sites. And, and, and I tell people that applying is, is the bare minimum. It, that is not like when someone's like, Oh, I'm looking for a job. There's no jobs out there. I'm like, well, what are you doing? When you say you're looking for a job, what are you doing? Like I applied to a hundred jobs last month. I'm like, okay, like what else did you do? for those hundred jobs, right? Because clicking apply is literally just submitting information to black hole that most people uh, can't keep up with, right? At least that's what I would assume as a candidate is that this is not enough and I have to find another way to get their attention. And I had to do that when I got my first sales job. Like I was applying to single platform. They just got acquired for a hundred million dollars. They were getting hit up by every single college graduate. This was in August. Everyone's graduating. Like they had thousands and thousands of applications and it was very hard to get their attention. And it's funny, you alluded to it before this guy's background at CVS. That's exactly why they ignored me. The first hundred times I reached out, they were looking for people straight out of college. I had this weird four years experience managing a pharmacy and I wanted to get into sales. And like, it was just didn't look right, right? It wasn't the typical candidate. But so anyway, what do you recommend today? I, I tell people like, particularly for entry-level sales, obviously the role matters, right? Um, but, but I'm a big fan of people putting together a quick video and trying to get that in front of the hiring manager or someone who can help influence an introduction. Do you, do you like that idea or is that uh, not good? Video, video is huge. And we actually have video on, on our platform that people can upload their video. So hiring people can see it uh, and make a decision, yes, no, not just based off of your profile. Uh, and, and that really helps. And so I, I love video. I also, it's just, I, I, the, the more you were talking, the more I was thinking, it's just like sales. You know, if, if I want to sell to you and I just say, hey, Colin, I have something to sell you. Uh, want to set a meeting? You're like, oh, gross. No. Um, but if I reach out, and, you know, I have a very thoughtful 
message, right? Like I've been following, you know, let's say I want to go work for you now. And I, I say, you know, I've been following your career. I've been following you online. I love the podcast you did with Carolyn Betts Fleming. You know, that was so, <laughs> so interesting. Um, and, um, you know, it just, it's so, whatever it is, and it's a super personalized approach, um, you're way more likely to interview that person, right? Uh, and it's the same with sales, right? You have to be personalized. You have to have a great approach. I think video is great. But I still remember um, I hired this woman as my assistant right out of college. And I think like any company, it's like, you waffle, the pendulum swings so far. And we were at a point where we said no recent grads. We were at a no recent grad moment at Betts, okay? <laughs> and so, but she was a recent grad, but she sent me this email that said she'd been following me on Instagram and our company and on LinkedIn and that she graduated from college and her whole dream, her entire life was to come work at Betts. <laughs> and I just like, nobody ever says that. <laughs> And so I'm like, okay, well, we're not hiring recent grads for, you know, recruiters, but like I have my, my assistant was, um, you know, on maternity leave and was going to take some time off. And so we flew her down from Oregon. She had just graduated from University of Oregon and she ended up working for the company for multiple, multiple years, but it was all because of her personalized approach uh, that we hired her. Right. And so that's my advice is personalization and reaching out to people at the top and, you know, being very um, intentional about how you communicate with people. That's so good. Um, I'm glad you threw in the, the connection to how it's just like sales. And, and I think that's why you're giving me epiphanies of why I've given people advice and, and without totally thinking about it. But I think that's why it stands out so much in sales that, that when that candidate gets in your inbox with an impressive video as a manager, not only did you now just get to essentially meet this person, you know, more so than their application or, or whatever resume they sent you, you get to see their face and hear them talk, but you also get to see that they just displayed the very skill set that you'd be hiring them to do, which is getting in front of someone's face, right? And talking to them. And so I, I love that. That's, that's, it's so good. Like uh, it's probably only sales, right? Where you can actually showcase yourself doing the job to get the job which is pretty cool. Um, so you keep, you, you keep mentioning the technology behind bets. I, I, I know nothing about this. Can you talk to me about how does a recruiting company build technology? What does it do? What's the bets platform? And yeah, go uh, give it a, give it a go. Yeah. It's interesting, right? It's like disrupt or be disrupted. And, you know, we, we started seeing these various different platforms come out and we've been in business for 11 years. And so we decided a couple of years ago, maybe even longer now to develop our own software. And so what usually happens at Betts is companies come to us, seed series A, they, they ride with us through series C. And then at some point somebody looks at the P and L and they're like, who are these Betts people? <laughs> like we need to stop using them like what do they do what are we paying them absolutely not and then they hire internal recruiters and then that company is no longer a client i've been in meetings like that plenty <laughs> of times. <laughs> not about bets specifically but i i know when those numbers start to stand out like right as your business is taking off with a client they're starting to notice that they're spending lots of money and who are these people totally yeah it, we know when the, the gravy train's about to end so um so 
However, these in, internal recruiters are, are really set up to fail, right? They think this one person that they're hiring can magically do the same work as an entire organization that is built to execute on mass hiring of salespeople. And so what we did was we took our, you know, database of hundreds of thousands of people that we have all of their data. So when I interview somebody or, you know, one of our recruiters, we find out, okay, and we go through each job. What was, you know, what was your average deal size? What was your quota? What was your attainment? How many deals did you sell? Who were you selling to? And all this very, very valuable information that takes a long time to collect because people don't have it on their LinkedIn. And it makes a huge difference. You know, at doctor.com or single platform, uh, you guys were selling more transactional deals. My guess, I don't really know. At Aircall, they were larger. And so the same type of people may or may not be the same folks that you're going to hire, especially for those more experienced hires and or maybe you would but it's good to know going into it so you can have a conversation of okay well our deal size is this how would you go about doing it? whatever I'm going too deep into this because clearly I'm very passionate about sales hiring uh, but so it's online and so uh, companies many 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 of our clients have transitioned from our pay per hire to unlimited hire unlimited hiring for a subscription where the recruiters can log in they have all the data they have access they have the videos and they can just, and it links with, um, you know, it integrates with Lever and Greenhouse and people can just, you know, reach out to these candidates directly, put them into their ATS and hire as many people as they want for a flat subscription rate. And it makes the recruiters far, far, far more successful. It's like having the entire team of bets behind them uh, for way cheaper. Got it. So it's, it's largely a data play. That's, that's essentially what, what people are getting. And it's, it's making their jobs a lot easier because you have all this information, almost these like baseball card stats on, on salespeople. Exactly. Data, data and access to talent. Right. And so it's like a right, time. Right. You also can see who's active, who's passive, who's open to offers, but not looking, which I kind of consider passive, but that's a thing on the, on the site as well. And it shows who's new. And so, yeah, but the data is huge because it, like I said, it takes forever to gather that information, a lot of phone interviews and, you know, you can stack up, you know, you, you know how long phone interviews take. Okay. I don't tell you. <laughs> How much do you charge for that? Is it uh, per recruiter? Like they have to buy a license? Yeah, it's five grand a month for a couple licenses. And, you know, and then the economies of scale are lower. And then we also have a subscription service where if they only have one person, we can do sourcing for them on the back end that they pay a subscription for as well. Got it. So if I give the five grand, I get access to this information and then I reach out to the candidates myself. So I'm not utilizing your team, right? So that's the difference there. Exactly. And then your schedule and the, the technology schedules the interview and then you're taking them through the process. But what we found was that most people were coming to bets for access to talent, not necessarily us, you know, prepping, debriefing, and closing, helping close the candidate at the end. A lot of companies really like that, but many say, we, we work with sales leaders, you know, they're like, these are my people now, like, I want to close them. I don't need, you know, your love, like, so-and-so's lovely, but, you know, I got this. And so, um, and, and they usually do, right? And because once you start interviewing them, it becomes your relationship and not ours. And so we found that that's going to add actually more value to them and, and then they don't have to interact with our team as much either. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So there's, there's a big sales and entrepreneurial lesson in everything that you just said that I want to make sure everyone, everyone realizes. So you were in the business of 
selling essentially a people service, right? People would pay you to utilize your team and all of the information that you have to, to help recruit people and, and bring them on. And you obviously had a common objection of people saying, oh, we do recruiting in-house, right? We're going to hire our own team. Uh, and I know why companies do that, right? They think it's more cost effective. Or maybe it is in, in many instances, um, or, or they want to control the the candidate experience with their own brand and, and things like that. And so what you did is, is you said, all right, here's an area where we're losing a lot of business. Let's have a new product to sell to those people so that we're not losing them. And that's so brilliant. And, and that's one of the things that makes companies wildly successful is when you are, and this is how you reduce your cost to acquire a customer because you have already spent the time to get in front of those prospects, right? You have already spent the time to have the conversation with them trying to sell them your service. So that time is already invested. So if you can't sell them anything, you've lost. And so you built a whole new product. So now you say, all right, we're splitting our prospects into two buckets. Some people want to hire us full service and we're going to do everything for them. Great. But the other half of the people now that, that would normally walk away and we have no, no way to make money off them. Now we have a product to to offer to them. Um, so that's really smart. Has, uh, and you said you launched that, what, two years ago? So, so we started building it, you know, it's a couple oh. years ago. And so, and our team, so that, that's another interesting thing, right? Is because we are recruit, it's quite meta, right? Like we're, we have these recruiters. So we tested the technology internally first. And so all of our customers that are also on the service use the platform to manage the service. Um, so if you, you know, I'd say you log in to Bets Connect and you look at all the people. Uh, and then, so we started monetizing it and selling subscriptions earlier this year. So I was joking that it was great timing to start selling it, right? And <laughs> And, you know, everyone's like, yeah, we're hiring 100 salespeople this year. Oh, wait, that's all paused. You know, we need one sales engineer in, you know, Chicago. Can you help us with that? We're like, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, but now, seriously, in the last month, we have, we closed three deals last month subscription, and we have a huge pipeline of very, very large companies. I mean, very large relative to the Series A that uh, are, are looking to buy. So I have a feeling we'll probably close another you know, couple dozen deals in Q4. That's awesome. Do you have specific account executives that are focused on selling just that product? Oh, it's such a great question because we have tried, you know, we, so originally we did and then now we don't. And so it's a very much solution-based sale that we have where they talk to the customer and identify what their needs are, right? Is it, and then make a recommendation based off of that specific customer's needs, just like every company is supposed to do. And so we have the same salespeople doing that. And then also what we see is sometimes companies are like, you know what, we just need these three AEs by the end of October or SDRs or whatever it is. And so we'll, give them the service first, start the sales process for the platform, and then they can transition uh, to as they have less urgency and can build out other processes. So it, it makes more sense to have the same person selling them everything. It's a great sales leadership tip. I'm, I'm going to take a guess and, and say that you initially had dedicated AEs for that because you thought performance would be better, they're laser focused, but am I right in assuming that you realize that that's not the best experience for the customer to get pushed over to another person? It's like, oh, I can't sell you my product. Let me transfer you over to someone else who's going to try to sell you this product. The, the right experience is you're going to talk to one person. They're going to figure out what you need and I'm going to prescribe the solution. Is that kind of what, what happened there? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes we do bring other people in to help with the demo and, and the conversation of the technology, but that person stays with it throughout. So it's, they're not, you know, they might run the demo with two people, just like a sales engineer at a technology company, right? Or like a techie techie company. And so, yeah, and we're always trying to figure out what the best, and there's just no right answers to these things, right? There's pros and cons to every which way you structure things. And so I think, the best companies and the best leaders are always looking how to optimize by weighing pros and cons and, you know, figuring out what the right, you know, mix is because any, like literally any way you do something, there's a downside. <laughs> and so you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess, that like, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Never will be. Yeah, it's a good point. And a lot of it comes down to just assessing who you have on your team at that time, right? What's, how do we best use our resources? And that's, I think, to your point, it's like, there isn't just one way to, to do it. Um, so when people are like, oh, well, you know, we don't have anyone good at this. Let's just hire somebody new. It's like, okay. And in the recruiting business, you would think that when people say, oh, we need to hire this person, that I'd be like, great. Yes, we can help you find them. But the real answer is like, no. Like if you just hire this random person to come in and you don't have a process in place, unless that is their expertise, this person is not going to be successful. Like it, anyway, so little. That's common problem in startups too, especially right after you raise that round of capital, everybody gets so eager to just hire. They have this whole list of people to hire that is going to allegedly just get rid of all these problems we've had for the last few years. It doesn't usually work that way. Usually you hire people. Uh, it's like more money, more problems, right? More people, more problems. Uh, right. Yeah, it's so true. So what's it like going from, you know, essentially a, a people business to a technology business? Uh, did you, did you have to bring in uh, an executive to, to help you through that? Uh, what, what was the first step that you took there to, to start to commit to that decision? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of steps. So the first step was, and it was so funny because years and years and years, so many people would be like, Carolyn, we love bets, but like, you know, they would explain what I just explained to you and you should build a platform. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but I'm not really a tech person. So I'm just going to keep this, this business is working out pretty fine. I think, I think I'm good. Uh, and then I, I attended this school, this program at Harvard and and I just was like, you know what, I have to do this. And so I met with, and it, it's a really long story, but basically long story short, I ended up hiring a, a VP of product and engineering and he works with our team in Pakistan to build the technology. And so there was a whole, you know, design thinking process that we went through and continuing to iterate. We have an entire team of people at BETS that are on the Connect uh, Innovation uh, Committee that continue to iterate on the platform. And so he runs it. And, and then we also brought in some people from Hired to, um, to help us take it to market. So um, my VP of sales worked at Hired, was very successful there. Hired is very similar to what we do with Bets Connect, which, you know, it's a go, it's a, they did tech hiring, we do go to market. And so we have a very, very similar model to Hired. However, we've raised zero capital and I think our platform's better. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did you say you built a team in Pakistan or is, or is that an outsource group that you're working with? It's outsourced, but the team is dedicated to us. So, you know, I met this guy through YPO and he's in DC. So we work with them and yes, so they, but they are dedicated to that. 
Got it. So you have an outsourced dedicated team, but you hired someone here in the States to oversee that process, a, a VP level? Got it. That makes sense. That's uh, <clears throat> when I tried to start my own, my own company the first time, it was a, a technology company. Um, I was trying to figure out how to build the MVP and the initial plan was to just go around and <clears throat> raise some, some angel investing money and you know, I'll find a co-founder and they'll come in and they'll build an MVP and I'll go sell it and then we'll raise a real round and we'll build the real product, the better product and it'll be all good and easy. But uh, really hard trying to convince uh, some engineer to quit their job and give up their vesting options and come build my dream and let me be the CEO. Uh, it's, it's tough to do. Um, and, and so at least you had, you had the budget to, to go hire like the right person. That's the right way to do it, by the way. Uh, so anyway, that's why you never, ever heard of that company that I tried to start because it, it never made its way off the ground. But um, can you talk to me or to the extent that any, anything that you're willing to talk about publicly, I want to understand the numbers of the business as best as possible. I mean, you've, you've raised no capital to date. Have you taken on any debt? A little, like a, um, a line of credit. And uh, with COVID, we took a PPP loan, which a lot of people did to try and keep as many, literally overnight with COVID in March, 90% of our business went away. It was incredible. So uh, we were in kind of a tough position, but it's just been so cool to see us come out of it just so strong. So, you know, we were set up to do, you know, in February, we did about $2 million in revenue. So about $24 million business, uh, just in terms of revenue. And so it's gone down a little bit since then. Uh, but we're back. I mean, it's crazy. We, um, we had a massive Q3 and Q4 is going to be huge. And um, so I, I have no and we have about half the size of team too, because unfortunately, we had to make some tough decisions uh, when our business changed. But um, yeah, so you know, I, I have no doubt that next next year we can have another you know twenty thirty plus million dollar year. That's awesome. So and and you started almost eleven years ago. <clears throat> How long did it take you roughly to get to 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 do a million dollars in in annual revenue for the first time? Oh, like a year. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was fast. That's awesome. It was like right place, right time. I hired people pretty quickly because I, I just joined EO Entrepreneurs Organization here in um, in Austin. And uh, they and I joined back when I was in San Francisco and they did a little write up on me in their newsletter. And they asked when I joined originally, I was like, I don't know, probably two, 20, 2012. And so then I looked back and it was 2011 that I joined. And the minimum qualification to join entrepreneurs organization is a million dollars in annual revenue. Got it. Got it. Well, congratulations. That's, that's incredible. I had no idea <clears throat> that you didn't take on any investor capital. I mean, I had a, I had a whole bunch of questions I wanted to ask about pitching VCs and, and raising rounds. And, and now it's all coming to light for me. Like you have a different vibe than a lot of CEOs. It's, just, it's almost like a little bit less stress. Like you, you just, you seem like you, you don't have a board, you know, crushing you. And, and now I'm like, all right, I get it. Like she doesn't have all these ridiculous requirements that she has to, to meet to, or these promises that she has to make to, to a board or, or am I wrong? Like, do you have a board? Do you roll up to anyone in any what way or is no the top board. of the chart? Like you, you. 
And to be clear, I did take on a little bit of friends and family with the platform, but not sure. much. Sure. <laughs> so like very little. And, and because, so to be honest, I did, when we were building the platform, I, I tried to raise money because I thought, okay, well, it's tech and that's what everyone does. And it was just so demoralizing. I'm like, you know what? We have plenty of money. We're just going to self-fund this thing. And I'm not going to continue to have people tell me my ideas are stupid and that, you know, ask questions that like, aren't you know some people ask really good questions and help me you know come up with a strategy but other people i'm just like you don't get it you're like never going to give me money anyway why am i wasting i i realized i as with a sales background i would be much better off spending that time going and acquiring customers that would bring revenue to the organization than i would be uh trying to pitch vcs to give me money um and our deal sizes as you know are like you know 60 to you know 150k on that so you think about like yeah whatever i don't need to go into all the details but uh, in terms of a board no so we have an executive team and we have a very collaborative process with that team i'm in ypo i'm in eo i have advisors i have you know a woman that works with me as a as a coach um so i have a lot of help um but nobody that you know the I call the shots. <laughs> Nobody can fire you, right? Nobody can vote you out of the company, basically. Not yet. Only me. <laughs> exactly. Only you. That's a, that's a good feeling. That's, um, it's interesting, right? Like, I, I think what has enabled you to be able to do that as a salesperson is, is what you said. You focused on, all right, it's easier for me to close deals. And because you started a people business, a services business, you didn't need to build something to get started. You just needed to sell something. Uh, and, and that's really cool. And it, it ties back to this cool conversation I had in, in the last episode with Wiley, uh, where he, he did build a technology company. But what's really interesting about his story is that he actually sold it before it existed. And so he followed the same mindset that you're saying. And he said, what I did, is he goes, I built a PowerPoint presentation that showed the technology as if it existed. And I went around to all of these restaurants and I pitched them and I didn't tell them that it didn't exist. And I got them to write me checks uh, and I literally sold them the service. And of course I had to keep editing my slides and, and, you know, perfecting the pitch along the way. And then eventually, you know, I was selling it, selling it, selling it. And I would take their checks and then I would tell them, Hey, we haven't built this yet. We're going to, it's going to be delivered in 90 days. Can I take your check? I won't cash it until we can deliver. And so anyway, he did that enough and eventually got enough checks. And that's how he went to a VC and said, hey, like, I haven't built this yet, but people want to buy it. Here's all these checks. Can you fund us so we can, can build it? So it's, it's a bit more complicated than just selling a people service. But he, it's interesting that two salespeople who now are hyper successful essentially followed the sell, sell first uh, model to starting a company. Yeah. Oh, it really is. And, uh, you know, now uh, I'm a part of, uh, you know, some angel networks and stuff. And yeah, it's really, if, unless you have sales, nobody's going to invest in you. <laughs> unless you've like done it five times and, you know, you're no entity, <laughs> then maybe. But as a fresh new, you know, entrepreneur with your like amazing idea and your PowerPoint, like they're going to say, get, you, you, that was exactly what you told me yesterday when we were talking. They're like, get 10 customers. You're like, but how am I going to get customers <laughs> It's exactly what happened to me. I pitched, you know, I, I left my first VP sales job uh, after three years and I got cocky because I tripled their business, right? I, or, or sorry, I doubled it year over year. So we went from 4 million to 8 million to 16 million. And I'm thinking like, God, I'm the guy building this team. Like, I just need my own product. Like, I, I, I'll be making all the money. Like, I'm getting ripped off. And 
you know, and when you're in those shoes, I'm sure a lot of people listening can, re- can relate. It's easy to sort of look at your CEO or your founder and just notice all the things that they're not good at. And you just start to think like, I can do their job better than they can. And it was the most humbling experience of my life going out and spending eight months of my time trying to do that uh, and realizing, wow, this is really hard, right? And it changed the level of respect that I have for the people who do it. uh, Because when you start out, like you have nothing, right? Like I sat at my desk trying to get people on a Zoom call so I could pitch them my, my idea, my PowerPoint, right? Uh, I pinged everyone in my network, got, you know, all these favors to get these people on the call. And they're like, Colin, I love you. I love the idea. But like, I can't just give you money for an idea. Like you got to get some traction, get some customers. I don't care if they're paying you $10, like just get something and come back. And to your point, right. As we talked yesterday, like I need, I need something to sell. Right. And, and that's what was very challenging. And so then I tried to find a technical co-founder and to everyone listening, the reason I'm rambling on is to give you advice. If you are trying to start your own company, if you, you need one of two things, you, you need something to sell if you're a salesperson. And so if you're going to sell a service, which I'm doing now is consulting, I can hit the ground running. I can make my first sale tomorrow. Right. And that's, that's good. But if it's going to be technology, I urge you try to find your technical co-founder before you start this venture, because that is going to become the most challenging part of the whole thing. It's just finding the person to do it with you. Um, and, and outsourcing is very, very tough. Uh, depending on, on what you're doing, you have the right person to oversee that. So I would feel comfortable with that. I thought about outsourcing the build of my MVP, but I still, I said, I can't hire these people because I don't know how to manage them. I don't know how to see if they're doing the job right. I can't do a weekly check-in. I literally don't know what to look for. And, and so that's why I threw in the towel on, on that idea. But, but you went the route of, of hiring someone. Uh, I'm curious on that note, what, what was the, the decision there to outsource? Did you, did you say, I'm going to hire a VP. I'm going to find the right executive who's going to head this. And I'm going to let them make the decision on how they're going to do it. Or were you actively advocating for outsourcing to Pakistan? What was the, the thought process there? I, you know, it's interesting listening to your story because I had the same realization that you did. So um, Imran, who's the owner of the outsourced company that I met through uh, YPO, uh, I was originally going to manage the outsourced team. And I was like, okay. There's no way that I'm like, first of all, I'm not good at this, right? And I'm all about like leveraging people's strengths, right? And so, especially now, like as the CEO of the company, like I can kind of do whatever I want. And so uh, why am I going to do this if I'm not good? It stresses me out. I have no idea what to look for. So that's when I brought Cliff in is because, you know, I had to hire and he was so much better and he actually helped me vet multiple vendors and manage them and, you know, keep the cost down. And, and he runs all the sprints. And like, I really had no idea how much was involved in building a technology until we started doing it ourselves. And it's just been such a cool like you know 11 years in one company I know I keep saying that but like it the reason it stays fresh and new is because we're always trying and doing new things which keeps me really uh, energized and 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 this has been like one of the coolest things that we've done and it's so fun when I get on the you know a meeting with a friend and they're like wow like I had no idea you guys are doing this I was like I know we need to start telling people (laughs) 
this exists. So hold it, you know, our marketing will be out sooner rather than later. We have a new website coming out. And um, so then people will actually know that we have a platform. Yeah, I had no idea, but it, it makes so much sense. And, and my God, the opportunity there is, is huge because you're tapping into just, again, like I said before, all the people that you, your number one objection, you just found a really good response to. Uh, and, and that's incredible, right? It's like, it's like SaaS companies that don't sell professional services. And the number one reason they lose deals is that they don't have a, you know, they can't customize or do implementations. It's like, well, maybe you need to add professional services and boom, you just won all those deals, right? Uh, so I, I love that. Um, services companies call in. <laughs> and again? They don't want to be services companies. No, they don't. But, but you can partner with one, right? So that you can win those deals being facetious you know it's like services companies it's not cool it's not as cool as being a SaaS company (laughs) (laughs) so what's the game plan for for marketing this platform have you you just spoke a little bit about it do you you have a plan to do a, a big marketing push yeah, so we, we did it a little bit at our tech crawl last year before it was available. Um, and then, and that was more to get the candidates all, because there's in a marketplace business, there's two sides, right? So because obviously we have very sensitive data that people have to opt into, that was a big part of the process. So on the candidate side, a lot of people know about this, but it's not, it's been very, very, very targeted and selective because we want to keep the, you know, one of the reasons that makes Bet so great is because of the high quality service and product which is great people that are good candidates that that's why we're successful so the platform is mirroring that um so now i think we have like you know i don't know 50,000 opted in candidates with all their data and they, you know, it's a marketplace. So now that that's built and we have a new brand. So I don't know if you saw our new logo. So we've rebranded the company from bets recruiting to bets. Uh, and then we're building our new website. Once that's done, we were switching from uh, autopilot to Pardot, and, you know, we had all these issues and then we're going to start marketing it B2B. But right now it's really just, you know, the people that are looking to use our service or outbound sales that we've been doing, uh, we've been bringing customers on that way and marketing will get revved up probably, I don't know, I, I, I text my marketing guy every day, where are we with Pardot? <laughs> where are we with the website? Not every day, obviously, I'm not that micromanaging, but you know, probably about once a week. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's exciting. This It's a whole new chapter for, for your business. Um, I want to talk for a minute about COVID and, and I know we touched on it a little bit, but it's, it's, I'm very curious to, to make sure that we share whatever you've learned through it. But um, what, when, uh, you know, when, when April hit or, or, or fit the end of February, you know, what, what did you guys experience? I know you said out of nowhere, like the bulk of your customers disappeared. Everyone stopped hiring. Um, I mean, did you, was there a moment of panic where, where you're thinking, oh my God, this whole business could fall apart? I, you know, I didn't ever think that, um, but it sucked. I, I just, you know, for us, like, you, you know, we kind of had this like amazing sales kickoff. We flew the whole company. We had over a hundred people before COVID. And so I think we had like one, I don't know, well over a hundred people. And so we flew everyone to California. We rented this whole summer camp and, you know, the whole rah, 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 like rolled out the vision of people and tech and uh, bets, you know, one bets and all these things. And uh, it was fun. We did like games and everyone got together. And so any, obviously bootstrapped. So like, you know, it was super fun, but also a big investment. And then 
March rolled up February, best month ever, 2 million in revenue. Um, and then we all of a sudden, and my husband and I went to Brazil um, in January and February. So I think it was right before sales kickoff, came back, sales kickoff. And, but when we were traveling in Brazil, we started seeing signs like if you're in China or whatever it was, like you can't come to the US. And we're like, okay. Um, and clearly like people, it, it spread all around the world. And so we, when shelter in place happened every year in San Francisco, we were on front street, which was right above where Schroeder's and Harrington's and all these bars were, they had a big St. Patty's day party and our office was right there. So every year we'd throw the St. Patty's day party that was tangential to that. And like, everyone started canceling all their events. And I just remember this. And literally that was the Monday after shelter. That was the day in San Francisco that shelter in place took place that same week. 90% of our customers paused hiring. And that Friday, we laid off 30% of our company. And uh, because we knew it was not going to be good and it was going to last, and that we had way, you know, and, and that probably wasn't as deep as, as we should have gone. And, you know, unfortunate to say, because I absolutely love each and every person that has ever worked at this company and it broke my heart to have to do it. But, you know, in the financial situation that we were in, because we had invested so much in the technology and in, you know, building our team and, you know, trying to do all this stuff, we could not keep these people on payroll, you know, till COVID was over. And we decided to do it quickly to give us the most possible run time during COVID. So it was rough. And, you know, it, it, it's just, it's so interesting to see. Uh, and then what I started doing is I started calling everybody I knew and just asking how they were doing, how they were dealing with COVID, et cetera. And I think that, you know, a lot of those conversations were one of the reasons we were able to bounce back so quickly because, you know, um, April was terrible, May, June, much better, July, even better. August, September were record-breaking months for us, uh, not necessarily in revenue, but revenue per employee, you know, profitability, et cetera. Um, it's, been, it's been really amazing coming out of this. I, yeah, we had our all hands in. I know I'm talking a lot, but I was like, it's almost like COVID didn't even happen in this company. <laughs> and it sounds hyperbolized, but like our team just powered through and and, um, but it was really dark there at the beginning, not going to lie. Yeah. Layoffs is, is so hard. And I don't think people understand that like, <clears throat> it's, it's not an option, right? Like it's, it's not like you're sitting there like, oh, we're, we're just going to lay people off. Like you have to, right? And, and, and people don't realize that, that when, you, when your revenue stops so abruptly in a way that no one could have ever predicted your expenses are still there. People still need to get their salary and their health benefits and this and that. And you're sitting there as the owner of the business thinking, here's how much money we spend every month. Our income just got cut off. So here's how many months we could survive. And if you don't do layoffs, then it's less, right? And, and then you probably can't weather the storm. And so it's really difficult. Um, because you bounce back so quickly, have you been able to hire a lot of those people back? Yeah, you know what? It's most of them, like pretty much all the ones that I, I and I after we laid everyone off, not everyone, the people that were laid off, we I called each and every person, and you know, what are you thinking next? And you know, it was interesting. Some people were like, I want to be in recruiting. Some were like, I want to be an SDR. Other people were like, I definitely want to get out of sales. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm glad this helped you make that decision for yourself because uh, this would have been a rough road for you here at Bets, but. Um, 
so most of them found jobs already. And for us now that we're hiring again, uh, you know, it's, I, I love using these dating analogies, right? It's like, you know, you, it's like going back to an ex that you dumped, right? Like there's just like bad blood there. I don't know. Not bad blood. Let's edit that out of this. Sorry. It's not the same. Yeah. I know what you mean though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's really like, you know, if you lay somebody off, it's hard. I think it would be very hard to be in the other shoes. The shoes are on the other foot. If I had been laid off and the company's like, okay, we want you back now. I just would be like, you know what? Like I'm going to find something else. And our people are so highly valuable out in the market that, that they, that they really landed on their feet. So it just hasn't made sense to bring any of those people back. Got it. That, that makes sense. Um, what have you seen from, from your customers? Do you have a, obviously you probably have a better pulse on, on just the hiring market than anyone I know. Is everything back to normal? Is everyone just hiring like crazy again? They're trying to catch up. Are we still in between? Like where, where would you say we're at? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. So it's like, it's, making up for lost time like every single day and this never really happened maybe it did I don't know I guess I didn't really pay that much attention honestly before COVID when companies came to us wanting to recruit because we just you know now I have a much more involved uh, position with bringing customers on than I did before and so and is that sorry to interrupt but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that is that because of what's going on that you want to hear what's happening so you want to get close to the front lines right now yeah, and uh, and I have a really big network, and I find that um, relationship-based sales is where it's at. And you know, if one of my BDRs calls you because you're hiring a hundred people, or I reach out, hey, Colin, I see you're hiring a hundred people, you're probably more likely to take the meeting. You know, I'm probably not going to be like the one sending the contract and all this stuff, but um, it, that it's been helping. And then also, I think when people are coming to me because the relationship's so important, and because they're coming to bets because of me and not not just me they know the whole company is great but you know because it was so rough there for a minute I really want to make sure to handhold these people uh, throughout the process to make sure we're giving the best possible experience where before it was like so like busy and crazy and I was traveling all the time I just have more time back too and so I'm really investing my time in my team and our customers uh, has been more and then also networking like here in Austin, <laughs> things are open. So I, <laughs> I got to go do that too. But um, yeah, so yeah, they, I, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it did. I, I, this is so good. I, I love your story. I love your energy. You've, you've, you've built something incredible. You have no investors hanging down your, jumping down your throat, making life hard for you. You've, you've, got, uh, you've got something good going on. Do you have anything uh, that you want to plug. I mean, obviously we promoted the platform. Everybody, if you are hiring internally and you don't want to uh, hire external recruiters, you got to get, get on the bets platform. What do you, what did you call it? There's a name for it. Bets. What did you call it? Bets, Say it again. Bets connect. Bets connect. And is that available on betsrecruiting.com or is it a separate website? Yeah. If you go to betsrecruiting.com, it's very easy to, or, yeah, it's very easy to find uh, and people can sign up there and, uh, and we will be rolling out a new website. So maybe by the time this launches, we'll have the new website and <laughs> you can include it on the, hopefully, hopefully with the timeline you roll, you told me about when these are going to ship, uh, well, our website <laughs> will be up. If not, uh, <laughs> I won't be happy. 
Awesome. And you're, you're launching a podcast, right? Do you want to talk about that real quick before we, before we jump off? So talking to, you know, all different types of leaders really about their personal story of growth. And, you know, I've found that a lot of these less tactical podcasts that tell people's real stories are super interesting and lessons that they've learned through successes and failures. So, you know, interviewing all different types of people from go to market, uh, CEOs, sales leaders, uh, founders, et cetera. And so uh, thought leaders will be uh, rolling that out. I don't know when actually. <laughs> You'll find, you'll see it out there. I'm sure. Coming soon. Awesome. Caroline, thank you so much. This, this is incredible. Uh, we'll have to catch up again. If I make my way out to Texas, uh, at some point, we'll, we'll have to grab a drink, but, um, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything last that you want to, that you want to throw in any words of wisdom or pieces of advice for people going through this, uh, this interesting year? Yeah, no, I think just, you know, keep smiling and, you know, do your best, work hard and good things will come. Well, it's certainly worked out for you. So take her advice, everyone. Caroline, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. And um, yeah, next time I'm in New York, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, we can grab a drink there too. Sounds awesome. Socially distanced with the mask, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Always. Okay, bye. Thanks, Caroline. Thank you. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Lessonly. Check out Lessonly.com. That's L-E-S-S-O-N-L-Y.com. This episode was also brought to you by Spiff. Check out Spiff.com forward slash Colin. Please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.